everyone, and welcome to the Apex. When it comes to cars, the phrase race on Sunday, sell on Monday is never far behind. And there's probably nobody in the vintage, classic and competition car market who embodies it more fully than our guest this week, Gregor Fiskin of Fiskin's Fine Historic Automobiles. Some of the world's greatest cars have passed over the cobbles of Gregor's premises in London's Queensgate Place Mews, where he and his team, in their words, separate fact from fiction and the best from the merely adequate. But that's not all. When he can spare a moment, Gregor is also a bona fide racing driver with multiple Le Mans appearances to his name, including time as a works driver for Courage in the LMP1 class and racing a factory-backed Labour-run Aston Martin DBR9 in the road-based GT1 category. He really has done it all and we're thrilled to have him on the show. Gregor, welcome to the Apex. Oh, thank you, Hector. That was quite an introduction. Thank you. <laughs> we, do, we do our best. So um, to begin with, could you tell us a bit about your early days in the motoring business and how did you start out in the world of cars? Well, I, I've got to give immense credit to my mother and father. Um, both mum and dad uh, were, were, were great car enthusiasts. And my father, when he left the army and, and married mum, um, set up a little petrol station, a little country garage mm-hmm. at a place called King's Muir up in Angus in Scotland. Mum had been introduced to lovely cars by my grandfather. My, my grandfather was a, um, you know, was a great car enthusiast and he had Ferraris and he had Mercedes and all sorts of lovely cars. Um, and was, you know, was a, was a, a real, I, mean, I suppose a, a real petrol head. I mean, he loved, he loved mm-hmm. his motoring and that passed on to mum. Dad had, a, you know, you know, had a, a great love of cars and, you know, what they did, you know, in their little petrol station was, you know, beyond selling what they call bread and butter cars, they, with the, they, they get lovely exotic cars for friends and they travel mm-hmm. down to London and they bring up the odd Ferrari and the odd, Triumph Stag and the Jensen's and Aston Martins. So when I was a kid, um, you know, it was always wonderful when Dad returned from the south with some automotive, you know, um, mm-hmm. you know, piece of piece of joy. And you know, we we you know we we always had lovely old cars around us. And you know, in those days, you know, collecting cars, you know, it was all about vintage and veteran cars mm-hmm. or, or post or, or cars from the nineteen thirties. Um, and you know, up in Scotland, there was a you know great community of guys who were passionate for vintage Bentley, were passionate for Alvis, and indeed some of the other exotic marks, you know, uh, you know, Bugatti, uh, Delahaye's, and and things like that. There were there mm-hmm. were there was always a, a group of enthusiasts that that we would we would meet, uh, we'd go to car shows, and that's really how you know that that's what started it. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. And uh, I read somewhere that the respected restorer Bunty Scott Moncrief took you under his wing um, at an early stage. Could you tell us a bit more about him and what he taught you, what influence he had on you? Well, you know, I, it was my great good fortune to be taken under, under Bunty's wing. I mean, I, you know, I was a, something of a failed schoolboy and you know, I got myself into a, lo- a lot of trouble at school. Mm. I was lucky with my housemaster because my housemaster loved cars, but I, you know, I was no academic. Uh, I love music and I love drinking and smoking. And I got you know, and and the combination and my my love of drinking, smoking, and music uh, didn't sit well with the school curriculum. Um, <laughs> but by but my love of cars sat very well with my housemaster, and and I I, I should have been expelled, you know, yeah. ages before the final time came, and my my housemaster 
lovely man called John Arkell said to my parents, look, there's just no point Gregor carrying on at school. So I was, I, I went home, I think I was 15 and a bit or just mm-hmm. under 16. And I started working in my mum and dad's um, workshop and I was working on commercial vehicles and mm-hmm. And that and that was great. I mean, I you know I you know I'm, I'm no great mechanic, but but I loved getting involved. I loved taking things apart and seeing mm-hmm. how things work. And there was a memorable lunch where this wonderful man Bunty Scotman Creef, who was an absolute legend, he'd, he'd written books on vintage and veteran cars. He was you know famed his 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 kind of handle on his adverts back in the 1960s and 70s. He was a purveyor of horseless carriages <laughs> to the nobility and gentry since 1927. I'd read his books. Wow. And when I met him, you know, we got on really famously. And he used to come up to Scotland a fair bit. And he had his, on his wife's side of the family, they had a, an old stately home uh, about three miles from where we lived. And mm-hmm. his son, Humphrey, um, was still in the in the classic car business, and my dad would often find old Bentleys and Rolls Royces from some of the Scottish sporting estates, which had been delivered to Scotland new. And Dad would would would, would sort of channel them to Humphrey, and Humphrey would bring them south. Um, but mm-hmm. through Humphrey, we met Bunty, and Bunty sort of was told over lunch the trouble I got in at school, and he said, "Well, send the dear boy." down south to me so we'll look after him <laughs> so i was so i was i was packed off to work in the workshops of david scotland creef and son in leek in staffordshire mm-hmm. um and i was put up at, at and, and, and lived with bunty and his wonderful wife avril scotland creef who lived in a lovely cottage which was part of an old folly below avril's family stately home which which was basford hall and we lived mm-hmm in this lovely little cottage. My rent was a bottle of gin a week. Um, my bed wasn't long enough for me. It was, it was apparently Napoleon's traveling cot. So I used to, <laughs> I used to wear hairy kilt socks uh, on my, on my feet. Um, cause they stuck out at the end of the bed, but I absolutely loved it. And the, you know, it was, it was a bit of an induction uh, of fire for me because, you know, I was a sports, a little public school boy and I had to, you know, roll up my sleeves and work as an apprentice mechanic mm-hmm. in the workshops in Leek. But the mechanics there were really great guys and they sort of took me under their wing and, uh, and used to have to have a lot of fun at my expense. But the workshop was filled with fabulous cars. I mean, really fabulous cars. And mm-hmm. uh, and I was just, you know, pig and poo. You know, it was fantastic. And <laughs> you know, it was, you know, the stories that I got that I learned from Bunty and Avril at night. You know, it was an education by night, and it was an education by day, and it and it changed my life forever. That's that's fantastic. It almost sounds like you know, classic and vintage cars by Ch- Charles Dickens. <laughs> that's Absolutely. brilliant. So, Absolutely. um, coming on to the the modern business, Fiskins has always had extremely impressive and rare stock. So I wanted to ask, what makes for a good consignment? What do you, you look for um, in cars you take on? Um, I mean, I mean, we've got, we've got a, a bit of a handle, which we say Fiskins were the world's greatest cars come to be sold. Mm. And, it, you know, what defines greatness? Um, it's not necessarily price. Um, it, you know, it, 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 it's the best of breed. It, you know, if, if you're talking about a Ferrari or a Jaguar or a mm-hmm. Bentley or a Bugatti or an Alpha, 
you know, it, it really is, it's, it's the car, I suppose the Holy Grail is the car with the most interesting history mm. um, in the highest state of originality. Um, um, and uh, yeah, it's, it, 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 our market can be quite nuanced. Mm. Um, and uh, I suppose that with different marks, you know, you look, you look for slightly different things with a That's race car, with a race car, of course, it can all be about, you know, racing success and history. Yeah. But of course, some of the cars with the, the greatest racing histories have had the hardest lives. So they don't end up being the most original. Mm, um, absolutely. I suppose, I suppose, you know, there's the, the car that did very little racing and got put away and got hard to use. Mm. But there are certain cars which did have great racing histories. Um, and they had, you know, they never had bad days or, or terrible days in their lives where if they got, if they got bashed, they got repaired in period, but mm -hmm. you know, they retain the, the key elements of, of originality and they, mm -hmm. and, the, and, and with, with wonderful patina as well. But it, 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 it is, you know, it does change and it is quite nuanced dependent upon the mark and the type with a, with a road car. You know, with some fantastic Bugatti Type 55, which, which for example, you wouldn't expect to race. You know, if you can find that car that's been an epic long-term ownership, mm. you know, mm. been owned by a loving collector, you know, an enthusiast for half a century or more, when that type of car comes towards us, that's really exciting. Mm -hmm. Where something's been really cherished, hasn't been on the market forever um, publicly, that you know that that for us is is an exciting consignment. Mm, mm. That's interesting. And um, aside from dealing in cars, I mean, you frequently race them as well. And I've got a list here. I mean, you've raced everything truly vintage racing cars to you know right bang up to date modern equipment. How does that inform your work? Does it give you special insights that you can share with clients who maybe you know have never been on a track before but are still looking to to purchase a, a racing car? Yeah, a good question. I mean, uh, someone said to me, Gregor, you, you know, you must be an amazing salesman. Um, I, I, I'm really not a salesman. Um, mm -hmm. I've never, ever sold a car to anyone in my life. You know, what I am <laughs> is, is I, 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 you know, I, I, by saying someone's a good salesman, there's a, an impression that you're persuading someone to do something they might not want to, mm -hmm. to have done. Yeah. I, what happens, and back to your question, is by by racing the cars and being involved with the cars, you know, the cars make an impression on you. And if you're an enthusiast, you get excited. And mm. when I, you know, when I race, you know, if I just just stepped down of having driven a Maserati 250F or having driven some wonderful Silver Ghost on the roll road mm. or a four and a half litre Bentley or just having got out of a car. If I then talk to someone about that car, I just talk about the car. I mm. speak for the car. And at the, at the end of that conversation, someone says, do you know what? That's fantastic. Can I have it, please? <laughs> Wonderful. That, I mean, it's, it's, yeah. no more, it's no more complicated than that. It, it, it's, you know, and, you know, when we get cars here at Fiskins, you know, for the, you know, for the younger people who work in the business, mm. the first thing I say to them, I say, get in the car and take it for a drive. Mm. Go and see what it's like, because you know, for me, you know, these these are not things you can look at academically. You know, we are in a privileged position here where you know, these amazing cars come here, and it, until you've driven them, until you've experienced them, 
you you can't speak for the car, and mm-hmm. and it's amazing. It's amazing when you know in on on the on the rare occasions when when things go quiet here, you know I go well. Let's take them all out and let's go for a drive. Let's you know, let, let, you know let's go, let's go you know just get the car out as soon as the cars come alive, we come alive. And um, you know I'd hate to have a job where you know I had to sell something. I had to speak for something mm. I didn't believe in or didn't mm. have a passion for. Um, so yeah, that's that's you know that's why driving them is is mm. is what it's all about. That makes makes absolute sense. Um, just further on the racing, you seem to be a fan of endurance racing yourself in particular. And again, you've raced everything from BMW M3s, Porsche GT3s to prototypes at Le Mans, Sebring, Spa, Nurburgring. What do you like about that form of racing? And maybe could you tell us about some of your standout endurance racing memories or experiences? Um, I think the reason I like, I like, I mean, again, it comes back to a little bit of a childhood thing. When I was 15, um, my little brother Dougal was, well, I guess, 13. We went to Le Mans for the first time, and we went on a, on a vintage Bentley trip to Le Mans. I think it was about 1978. Uh, mm-hmm. To celebrate one of the, the Bentley trips there, and they allowed us in the in the Bentleys to do a few laps on the track. And I remember my dad was driving. We'd driven, driven all the way down from Scotland in a Speed Six Bentley in the back of it, which was quite mm-hmm. an experience. Um, and half of it spent under the tonneau. Um, <laughs> but um, but I, mem- I, mem- I remember dad. Mum was up front with dad, and I remember we we kind of left the pits, and my brother and I were in the back. And oh, it was just fantastic. There were all these kind mm. of genuine team cars in front of us, and everyone was really buzzed up. And I remember leaving the pits, and we got to Tete Rouge, which is those fabulous line of trees, just uh-huh. as you go onto the Molsan Strait. And I'd I'd seen all the pictures, and I'd read, you know, Tim Burkin's you know biography. And I remember the car was coming onto the onto Tetrouge, onto the Morsam. Mm-hmm. My mum was shouting at my father, Ian, slow down, slow down. <laughs> and my brother Dougal and I were sort of shouting at dad, going, go on, dad, go on, dad, because I think someone yeah. had tried to take us on the inside. And I remember, like a kid, as we went down the Morsam Strait, something just, you know, just hit me in my veins. I was like, uh-huh. I'm going to race here. Yeah. I am gonna. This this is it. There's nothing else more important to me, to me. And of course, I had a, that kind of kiddie dream of I wanted to be Birkin or Bonato. Yeah, or I wanted to race a vintage Bentley at Le Mans. So I think that's kind of what started it. So then mm-hmm. it was all about Le Mans. And then, of course, the more I studied, then I got into you know reading about you know the the great jaguar wins at le mans mm-hmm. and, and ferrari in the 60s the ford versus ferrari battle then you know you know you know i kind of got in started reading about Derek bell and jackie mm-hmm. eeks and it was always amazing but through and all of that was i read about these heroes there was a kind of little little kind of thing that, that went through all these stories and it was always there was always a gentleman driver mm. Who drove at Le Mans, uh, either with a professional, and I, I guess I cottoned onto the idea that that I don't think I could blag my way into a Formula One career. Mm-hmm. But I wondered; it seemed to me that it was possible as an amateur to get yourself to Le Mans, and mm. that I guess I sort of set my that was my dream and that was my target. 
but I didn't have the means or you know, the wherewithal or, or the contacts to get there. And then sort of circumstances um, came that, you know, that friends of mine were racing BMWs and racing Caterhams and, mm-hmm. you know, and I, I'd always wanted to go to the Nürburgring and, and race on the Nordschleife. And, you know, I started doing these 24 hour races on the Nordschleife and 24 hour races at Spa. And one, you know, once I did my first kind of long distance race, you know, mm. that, 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 that was it for me. Yeah. There's just something about it, isn't there? So, yeah, and I think there's there's also the you know it, it's not about just one person. It's about yeah. a team. Uh, it's about you know it's about making it to the end. Uh, it's also you know it, 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 I mean that's, I think in the beginning, particularly when I did the BMW racing, there was a, a an almost Iron Man kind of thing about it. I mean, some of the stints we do in the cars would be. Mm. You know, you do two and a bit hours, and then another hour and a bit, or whatever. I mean, they mm-hmm. were, you know, they were mass, m- massive long stints. There was, there was something really quite appealing about that lap after mm. lap after lap. You know, the, I mean, I, I think I have a, gr- a great, I mean, I, I have a, a huge appreciation for Grand Prix racing, but Grand Prix racing can never give you sunset. Mm, you know, Grand absolutely. Prix racing. You know, they, you know, when 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 you're at Le Mans and you got through the night. Yeah, and dawn, you know, and you're going down towards Indianapolis at 200 miles an hour, and the sun's just just starting to come up, and and, yeah. and you start to pick out, up the, out the trees. There's that kind of sense of right, we're through the night. I yeah. think we can yeah. make it, and that I think there's things like that which which are, which are special to 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 endurance racing. Wow, yeah, no, I, you, you took you took me away there. Um, and just on the on the cars themselves, because I know that you've raced things like the Aston Martin DBR One, the Jaguar D Type, the Maserati Two Hundred S, amongst many others. W- what were your standouts from those cars, and how does that sort of car compare to the more modern racing machinery that you've raced? Because I know that a lot of our listeners, well, frankly, have driven n- neither, but would love to know. Okay, well, I, I mean, I think that. If you were to sort of make make a difference between the, the older cars and the modern cars, mm-hmm. I think the older cars are they're a little bit more about car control. And I mm. think you know modern cars. I mean, if if you're driving a car on slicks and you start to slide a car on slicks, you know it, it, you're generally in a position where you know you're 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 correcting something which can turn into an accident mm-hmm. where you're racing the old cars you know it, it it's all about the four wheel drift mm-hmm. you know it's it's an awful lot about car control and and I just love that you know the mm-hmm. the old cars you know something like the DB, the DBR1 Aston or or a Maserati 250F you know those cars you know you just have these beautiful four wheel drifts out of them mm. and i mean the, one of the you know the finest experience i had was a, a, a client very kindly lent me a ferrari 250 gto to race mm-hmm. years and years ago and i remember that car was just like a kind of it reminded me of of, of you know when i when i was back up in scotland i i used to do some special stage rallying and mm-hmm. and i drove ford escorts and Toyota Corollas and Celicas and things like that. And I remember those cars, you, you know, if you were on the loose surface, you could just about put them, back them into a corner where you turn in and you'd almost be looking at the rear screen. 
And yeah. I remember the Ferrari 250 GTO was like that. I mean, you could wow. slide, you could slide it. You know, it would send you a little letter saying, okay, we're sliding. <laughs> and then it would send you another letter going, I'm sliding some more. And you, you drove it on the steering wheel, but you also drove it on your right foot. I mean, you really, a lot of the, the, the drift was controlled by your right foot. And I remember mm -hmm. the angles you could get this GTO at. Yeah. And you just think, I'm, you know, I'm going to spin it. I'm going to spin it. And, you, yeah. and it, you just didn't spin it. It was just awesome. And I think old cars, you know, really give you that. The modern mm. stuff, it, it is all about grip. And then what you're doing is, you know, you're, you know, particularly cars like some of the prototypes or even the DBR9 that I, I raced for Labra, the DBR9 had a, a reasonable amount of downforce, which meant the faster you went, the more grip the car generated because of, of the load that was being pushed by the front splitter on the front and the rear mm -hmm. wing on the rear. And it was just incredible how, you know, you could use that to break unbelievably late um and, but also you could use that you know in the high speed corners where you know with the faster you went you almost had you know the sense of having an elephant on the front and an <laughs> elephant yeah. on the back of the car but that that takes um a, a degree of belief in 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 the kind of the aero you know so you're mm -hmm. sort of believe you know you're, you're putting your faith and trust into aerodynamics um so yeah, they're, they're 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 very different. They're very different, but they're still you're still driving, um, mm -hmm. and and there's still limits, and it's all about getting up to the limit uh, and being as fast as possible. Mm. Yeah, I, I love the sound of of those two um, philosophies. Um, so let's maybe talk about your personal car collection from the little I have read. I know it contains a number of pre-war cars. Uh, there's a Bentley four and a half liter. There's a Vauxhall thirty ninety eight, I believe. Um, could you tell us a bit about your own personal tasting cars and what it is about the ones that you do own that interested you? Well, I mean, first of all, I mean, I think that I mean, whilst I, you know, I'm lucky enough to have kept a few nice old cars along the mm -hmm. way myself. You know, I've always lived. You know, I've always had kind of um, champagne. Uh, dreams, but ginger pot money. So, but <laughs> because because of my wonderful clients yeah. and friends, you know, I've lived vicariously through their cars mm -hmm. and you know, some of the greatest cars which I've had the privilege of racing and driving. You know, I never could afford myself, um, mm -hmm. and if I could have afforded them, you know, you know, there's always you know there's always a flat to buy or children to feed and, mm -hmm. and those sort of things. But you know, my one of my mentors was a lovely man called Dan Margulis, and Dan mm -hmm. was one of the, the sort of pioneering motor traders. And, and Dan was for many years our next door neighbour here in the Mews. And I, I, I remember you know, Dan giving me some advice, which was which was almost contrary to his own experience in life. And he said he he regretted not having kept a few nice cars along the mm. way. And and I and I took that to heart. So what I've always tried to do is I've always tried to keep one or two really nice cars. Now I haven't been able to help keep them forever, mm -hmm. but you know along along the way, you know I, I owned a wonderful Acura Cost Jaguar C Type, mm -hmm. I owned a Ford France GT40, and all those cars we kept kept for long, many 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 years, and enjoyed them along the way. But the one car I've never ever been without is a vintage Bentley. And, mm. you know, as long as, uh, uh, you know, if I was down to my last car, it would mm. be a four and a half litre Bentley. I mean, I grew up with vintage Bentleys and 
I'm a great um, banger of the drum for mm-hmm. you know the pleasures of of, of, of pre-war motoring, and mm-hmm. it concerns me a little bit that, that that you know future generations might not get into the vintage cars. Mm. But you know, as long as I can draw breath, I urge anyone who hasn't driven, been in a vintage car mm. to, to get to, to, to get taken out in one because they blow your mind. People have mm. no idea how good they are. And as a sort of sensory experience, as a tactile thing, mm-hmm. um, as a challenge, you know, I mean, we, we joke with our clients that in a vintage Bentley, every silent gear change is a victory. You know, <laughs> they, they're, they're never boring. Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, I, I, I can take family and friends out driving out, out in, in Oxfordshire and they're having a lovely time as passengers, but I am totally engaged in the process mm. of what I'm driving and you know, if you're driving a, a 3098 Vauxhall or a Type 57 Bugatti or a, you know a, a four and a half liter or a three liter or a SpaceX, whatever you're driving pre-war, if you're driving well, you know they're yeah. more than capable of keeping up with modern traffic, and and they're just completely they 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 are addictively engaging. Yeah, I've got to say it's a, a personal driver. goal of mine. It's a personal goal of mine to take one of those out. One day, maybe coming off what you were just saying Hector, there, we need to Hector. We need to make that happen. <laughs> Absolutely, this, I'm this, I'm more this, than happy this true, to. This, good, right? We'll get that organised. <laughs> so I was just going to say, coming off what, one of the things you said there about the new generation maybe uh, not being as interested, or at least that's one of your concerns. I, I wanted to ask on your perspective on the classic car market as a whole at the moment. What are clients asking for? Do you see taste shifting? Do you see a new demographic? Looking for something new. What's your take on it? Well, I mean, I I I, I think the market. Um, I don't think the expansion of the market, and the market has definitely expanded, mm-hmm. is necessarily at the expense of the original cars that made up the classic car market. I think a growing market is very very healthy. What? I've generally tended to see, and I've seen, you know, I, I, I think the old car market is a very broad church. And mm. however people get into it doesn't really matter. Um, mm-hmm. If people get into it because they come in, because they, they started off collecting a few younger cars, you know, mm-hmm. they got into by collecting some modern Ferraris or Porsches. Uh, and then got curious about an older car because, say, for example, they came to the Goodwood Festival of Speed. Mm. Uh, they came. To, they came as a guest of of their modern car supplier, whether it be Aston or Porsche, Ferrari, and they came as mm-hmm. a guest. And then they maybe saw something going up the hill, and they went, "Oh my God! Listen to that! Yeah. Look at that! Uh, wow! Doesn't that smell interesting?" You know, it doesn't. It doesn't really matter as long as people kind of get exposure to it. And I think. What we've often seen is, um, you know, we love cars. You know, you know, mm. there's not a car that I can't find some merit in. Mm. Um, but I think what people tend to find is, for example, either they come, they buy, they buy a relatively new car, they go on a vintage car tour around Europe, or mm. they start doing a track day, and then they they realise that, that there's a kind of limit to what they can do with that, and then they go, mm. well, I, I wouldn't mind, I wouldn't mind driving at Le Mans Classic, or I really would like to do the Mille Miglia, mm. or I saw, and I was driving up the road, and I saw these vintage cars, these crazy guys in these pre-war cars doing this Flying Scotsman rally. And mm-hmm. I think I think 
the events are a big part of it. And I think having cars that are eligible for the events, if you haven't got a, a suitable car to do a, a classic car event, then you're going to get curious and you're going to want to mm. buy one. I, I, so I think, yes, I see the market expanding. Um, we at Fiskins, we're not, we're not all things to all people. Mm-hmm. You know, there's no point us trying to deal in late model uh, hypercars or, yep. or things like that because, candidly, you know, they don't do it for me. Mm. Um, and they're not, they're not things I can have a particular passion for, but, mm. you know, um, and I've, you know, I've missed the, the great fun and all the rest of it, but I, but I, it's interesting on track days that we do, you know, often people turn up with the kind of, you know, the latest kind of thing, but mm-hmm. they all, you know, when we put them into, a, you know, a, a 1965 E type, you know, mm. the, you know, Goodwood spec E type or a Cobra or something like that, you know, they just, when they come in, they, they just they smile from ear to ear because mm-hmm. they've actually got to drive the car. They've actually got to feel the car. They've actually got to change gears. They, you know, and they they go, wow, you know, I, I didn't know sliding could be so much fun. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, that's 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 really interesting. And when it when it comes to, well, actually, you know, your your day job. Um, there's the quote I used in in the introduction um, on your website. It says, you know, we separate fact from fiction. And the best from merely adequate. So. We know that the classic car world, you know, it's often, you know, a place where, you know, heritage is contested, cars are fought over, it's discussed constantly on the internet and, you know, in, in quiet corners of <laughs> dealerships. How do you do that? How do you do the separating of fact from fiction, the, the, the research? Um, mm-hmm. What does it look like for something like Fiskins? Um, I think there's no, the, the, you, know, uh, you know, I mean, first of all, I think experience. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, 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 it's a strange thing when, when, and I, and I've seen this all the way through my, my career, you know, if I was going to go and buy some fine art, if mm-hmm. I was going to go and buy collect impressionist paintings, you know, I, I would go to the top impressionist painting dealer, mm-hmm. you know, and I'd, and I, and I'd, and I'd make an arrangement with him, you know, I'd go to the top specialist. You know, yeah. the, the guy who has, you know, perceived to have the best stuff um, with the with a with a good reputation. And I go and make an arrangement and I, and I would mm. and I would work with that dealer to help me get the good stuff. Yet when it comes to cars, it's a kind of machismo thing where mm. people who have a little bit of knowledge, they go, oh, I know about cars. Yeah. You know, I, you know, I, I don't need help. And and. It, it, there's just a lot more to buying the right cars than opening an auction catalog. Um, and I'm talking of auction catalogs. I mean, we get, you know, auction catalogs are, are can be very, very well written. Um, mm-hmm. but, but what they tend to do is they have two or three pages of, of tabloid type <laughs> history about the mark. And then mm-hmm. they have one small paragraph on the end, but goes, the car in question is, with limited information. And I think yeah. because auctions churn stock all the time um, and they're very, they're, they're, they're worried about litigation. They don't yep. kind of put their, 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 they don't get behind it in the way that we do. Mm. And, you know, because we're deeply into the cars and we've known the cars and sometimes, you know, having been the Fiskins, we're coming up to our 30th anniversary. I mean, we've had many of these great cars numerous times. Um, but 
we also, you know, we have the enough humility to know that we don't know it all, mm. but we know all the world experts. You know, if it's a Maserati, <clears throat> we we know we know the two or three people to go and speak to. You know, mm-hmm. we take opinions, um, and I think that, that there's nothing like, as I said at the beginning, of the answer to you know my answer to your question is mm-hmm. experience. You know, we you know we've we we we've seen it all. We know the restorers. We know the we we know the historians. We've handled the cars, and we've actually taken the trouble to read the books, you know, mm. which is a, another subject. Which you know, you, you know, the internet is a is is a wonderful thing, but yep. people can put any amount of bollocks up on it. And you know, you know, I It's the I trade read, term there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I I read stuff, and I just think, you know, they have no clue. Yeah. But yeah. But you know, you know, but I also know that. You know that I mean. You know, I served a mechanical apprenticeship. You know, I I did two or three years working on the cars. I then did 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 six years working. You know, within the trade and industry before mm-hmm. anyone would allow me to you know to you know to voice an opinion. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. and, and nowadays in 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 a very instant world, mm-hmm. you know, people can become they make a you know. Uh, I mean, I have a. Uh, a guarded relationship with things like Instagram, where yeah, you yeah. Know, we as a company have an Instagram account, and we and I really see how you can get the message out to an awful lot of people. Mm-hmm. But I took it off my phone because it, I just looked at it, and there was so much noise, yep. so much ego. I mean, and and it just it's not. It, you know, it, it like everything on the internet, it it it, it it's unregulated. Mm-hmm. And you know, and it and it's you know, it, it's a very it's a very very addictive medium, mm-hmm. but you know, I I think you know, there's a lot more to um, being a specialist in what you sell mm-hmm. than than making a, making a, lo- a load of noise on on the, on on Instagram about something mm-hmm. you discovered yesterday. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a very perceptive answer. And I think it's probably one that uh, some parts of the car community would certainly. Do well to to listen to. Um, I also read somewhere on your site that uh, one of your kind of guiding principles is that buying and selling old cars should be fun. And I just wanted to ask, what's the most fun you've had negotiating a deal? Well, I mean, I think you know, you know, coming off my kind of high horse, you know, <laughs> I, I, you know I, I mean, I think we we I think we take the cars seriously. But I don't think we should take ourselves too seriously. And whilst I find and feel, uh, rightly or wrongly, a duty of care to the cars and a mm-hmm. duty of care to our customers, you know, it really distresses me when I see, you know, friends of ours who go to an auction, don't even read the catalogue, buy some piece of shit, and then, <laughs> and, then bring, and, then, and, then, and then come to us afterwards and, and seem to be and go, well, can you help me out of this? And you yeah, just go, yeah. oh, God, why? <laughs> um, but, you know, I, I mean, you know, be, I, I guess because we know our stuff, you know, it's really important that we get the histories of the cars right yeah. and that people know what they're getting so that, you know, uh, and that they come back to us because they were really pleased with what they got. Um, mm-hmm. But but ultimately, you know, for all of that, um, you know, because the money – is quite serious. You, know, you wouldn't mm-hmm. go and buy a house without having it properly surveyed or knowing Absolutely. what you buy. But cars are for fun, and mm-hmm. you know, and you know, I, I've got my, my whole life, my friendships, my greatest experiences have been given to me 
by the cars and mm-hmm. the car events and the car people. So, you know, by, you know, it shouldn't be scary. You know, it shouldn't be risky. Um, and, and, and it should be fun. And, and there's nothing better than, than seeing someone you've introduced to an idea of a car or a type of car they never even thought of coming mm-hmm. back to you going, Oh my God, we, you can't believe the fun we had going on this rally or mm-hmm. can't believe the fun we had down at Goodwood. And I can't believe it was my dream to do this. Uh, and that, and that because, you know, I got this thing f- through Fiskins, mm-hmm. um, or not even through us, or you know, it doesn't have to be through us. We just pointed someone in the right direction. So mm-hmm. I suppose it's a little bit like being a, you know, running a successful dating agency. But you know, <laughs> it, it, but again, and that's another point. You know, there's an awful lot of people you know, end up with cars that they shouldn't end up with. Yeah. You know, I, you know, I think sometimes the hardest thing is to say to someone, "Do you know what? I don't think that's the right car for you." Yeah. I think yeah. you know, uh, you know, giving or it's the right car, but maybe not quite yet. I can think of a few friends who fall into that category. Yeah, yeah, but then again, you know, again, going back to the fun thing, you know, sometimes, you know, what the, the best thing you did was just maybe maybe jumping in and getting on with it. Mm-hmm. But, you know, but it, it, it should be fun because, you know, ultimately, and you know, no, nobody needs classic cars. Nobody mm-hmm. has to have classic cars and classic cars and, and what they give you should be about mm-hmm. fun. Mm-hmm. So, Gregor, we're, we're coming up on time now. So, I've got three quick fire questions for you sure. uh, to end off with. So, number one is what is your favorite racetrack? Um, really difficult to say one. I suppose it would have to be Goodwood, though mm-hmm. recently we've been racing a bit at Thruxton, which uh-huh. Thruxton took over from Goodwood when Goodwood closed in 66. Thruxton is a really serious track. Mm-hmm. Um, Love spa, um, love love hate the the Norge life. I had I had a huge accident mm-hmm. racing at twenty four hours at Nurburgring, but the Norge life when driven well is is somewhere amazing. Um, but but I you know one of my greatest races was at Portland. You know I, mm-hmm. we run we run the Portland Grand Prix in LMP two, and uh, I love Portland. Um, I also loved Rockingham. You know, I had lots of success oh. at Rockingham, and sad, sadly, Rock, Rockingham's no more. But mm. I think, I think the great tracks. I mean, the Goodwoods, the Spas, Le Mans, of course. Um, that's more than one. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that, that'll do. That'll do for us. Um, question two is: What is your favourite driving memory? Um, I, there are so many. Um, I remember finishing my first Milia Milia with a, mm-hmm. a great friend of mine, Bruce Mel. And, you know, I'm, I'm no good on watches, stopwatches, all mm-hmm. that kind of stuff that you do on the Milia Milia. But Bruce and I were determined to stay on the route. And his A6 GCS Maserati charging system failed on day one. And I think I changed mm-hmm. eight batteries on it to oh get to God. the end. And I, I remember driving back into Brescia with no lights. Mm-hmm. Um, with Bruce holding a torch, waggling it around his head so other motorists could see us. <laughs> I mean, we were just dirty, exhausted, but we were determined to stay on the route. And, mm-hmm. and just finishing that was amazing. Um, yeah. I suppose my first Le Mans finish, you know, we went, yeah. uh, went with Lars Eric Nielsen and Ian Donaldson in a Porsche RSR. And 
you know, the enormity of, you know, in, first of all, to, to finish Le Mans, forget where uh -huh. you come in, in, in a place, to finish Le Mans with three amateurs, I yeah. guess back to my early schoolboy dream of when I went on the mm -hmm. Molson Street and Daz Bentley, to mm -hmm. actually finish Le Mans, um, yeah, wow. that was big. Wow. That was big. And last question, um, what car from your current stock would you want to take out for a drive right now? I would like to drive to Donington in our 1912 Rolls-Royce Silver Ghost, but, mm. but not touching a motorway. And I'd like to get out Silver Ghost and get into the McLaren MP4 mm -hmm. and do a couple of stints in the MP4. I think that would be, a, that would be my perfect day. And then <laughs> if someone could swap the Ghost uh, and I could drive the four and a half litre Bentley coupe back to London in the evening, yeah. maybe yeah. stopping for dinner on the way. I think that would be a pretty good day. Gosh, well, that sounds like a fantastic <laughs> day out. Well, Gregor, I'm afraid that's all we've got time for. Um, so I'd just like to thank you again for joining us today and for such a brilliantly interesting chat. Hector, an absolute pleasure. And I hope I haven't gone on too long. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks very much. The Apex is powered by Custodian, a new platform for car enthusiasts designed to help you manage your car from anywhere. Using the latest technology, it takes the pain out of ownership and lets you just enjoy the drive, because Custodian will take care of the rest. So if you believe life starts after 6,000 RPM, you need to be on Custodian. Join us now at www.custodian.club to sign up for early access and get ready to enjoy your car like never before.